Hey, I'm Pastor Sean. I want to thank you so much for checking out our, our website and our sermons online. And uh, we are so glad you're making use of these for your spiritual growth. And, and, uh, but we do want to encourage you. We, we believe that uh, our online ministry, our online sermons are a supplement to the local church. And so we really hope that uh, you and the community you live in will find a local church, a local church that believes the Bible, teaches the Bible regularly, and applies it to your life. And so uh, if you live in our community, we'd love to have you visit here in Yorktown. We're in 101 Village Avenue. And uh, we have three service times, 8, 9.30, and 11. And so if you don't have a home church, I hope you'll give us a try at one of our service times. We're beginning a new six-week series this fall, uh, going through the Lord's Prayer. And one of the things that I was really convicted about recently as I read through the Gospels is, is how much time Jesus spent in prayer. So here's the Son of God and spent hours and hours each day uh, seeking the will of His Heavenly Father, communing with His Heavenly Father. And, and so I wanted to take us as a church through uh, the Lord's Prayer where the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray. I want us to be a people that recognize both prayer to be the fuel of the Gospel and an opportunity to commune and be in relationship with our Heavenly Father. So I, pray, I hope that you'll join us for this six-week series, When You Pray. Good morning, guys. Great to see you. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, and uh, we are bringing our series, When You Pray, to a close today. And uh, man, I've so enjoyed putting this together and studying it, and I hope that it has informed your prayers and shaped and molded your prayers. That was my hope going into this series. I want us to be a church that's praying. Uh, if you're new at Coastal, you've only been coming for a couple weeks, you might not know this. My name's Pastor Sean, okay? And I want to thank uh, Pastor Andrew, Pastor Joey uh, for filling in for a couple weeks. Man, he did an awesome job. And, uh, and so I want to give you a little bit of a direction where we're going as we finish this series. Uh, we're going to be starting a series next week called A Harvest of Peace. And, and it was birthed, the series is birthed a little bit. It's actually jumping off of a little bit of Pastor Joey's sermon from last week as we talked very practically uh, about forgiveness, right? And, and the prayer of Christ that he taught us to pray. Uh, touches on forgiveness. And so my thinking is this, and so, so I can kind of uh, bracket it for you a little bit, is, you know, a lot of times when we get into the holidays, uh, there, uh, for a lot of people, stress actually goes up, right? And one of the things we've noticed even behind the scenes at Coastal is our counseling load seems to go up around the holidays, which I always find very interesting. And I think some of that is, is uh, there's this picture in our culture painted that the holidays are supposed to be great, and it's not always great for everybody. And then on top of that, we kind Kind of get around people that we've grown up with, family, and there's some maybe some hurts and some stresses around that. And so I want to do a three-part series uh, uh, teaching us how to have peace on earth, if you will, how to navigate relationships and have peace and forgiveness. And, and really, that's the heartbeat of the series. And so we're going to do that for in November. Uh, and then in December, we are going to unpack Isaiah chapter 9 and the names given to Jesus Christ for their leading into Christmas. Can you believe Christmas is almost here? No, right? It's hard to believe. And so, so let's finish up this morning. So that's where we're going. Let's finish up this morning when you pray. And I hope that your prayer lives have been encouraged. My, uh, my wife and I, a couple weeks ago, uh, we've made a, um, a kind of a family uh, commitment over the last 10 years or so to take uh, an annual two or three nights away in October. And, and I learned that from one of our elders who uh, taught me that early in my marriage. And it's just been a mainstay for us. And it's always welcome 
And so we took a couple nights, found a little Airbnb down near the Outer Banks. We went down the, down the Outer Banks. And so one of the days we got up and we decided to take a little hike uh, in, in this area that was a hiking path and it was near a little swampy area. And we fully anticipated, man, we're probably going to see snakes, right? And I hate snakes. My wife hates snakes. But we're, we take this hike and we get to the farthest point of the hike and along the trail we run across a snake. And I jump back and my wife is startled and, and she says, man, I, we, we got to go back. We can't continue around the loop. We got to go back, right? And I was like, well, we're probably over the halfway point. If we just kind of work our way around this snake, I think we'll be okay. She's like, no, we got to go back. And so we start, we, then we head back and we're doubled back and we probably get, I don't know, maybe a quarter of a mile the other way heading back to the entrance of this park, this hike. And, and we come into, we run into another snake, and she goes, well, what are we going to do? We can't go that way. And I'm like, we got to go one way or the other. And it was at this point, my wife became a snake expert. I didn't know she was such a snake expert. So here's this snake. He's coiled up on the trail. Okay, he's probably just sunning himself. I don't know much about snakes, okay? And I said, honey, maybe if we just kind of, and so the trail went downhill. And I'm like, if we just kind of go around the snake, I think we'll be fine. And she says, we can't go around that snake like that. And I said, why? And she goes, Maybe the snake's family is down there. I was like, honey, I didn't know you were such a snake expert. Do snakes travel in families? You know, that was my first question. And she goes, well, even if the family's not down there, maybe the nest is down there. And I said, do snakes nest? I don't know, you know. And, and I said, we have to make a choice because there's a snake that way and there's a snake that way. You know, we're going to have to go around one of the two snakes. And, and fortunately, uh, between determining if snake's family or nest, that snake moved on, okay? And so we were able to continue our hike. And I hate snakes, right? And, and there's a sense I, uh, that snakes, to me, feel like our enemy, right, on the journey home. And, and I don't like them. I don't even like the way they move, right? I'm like, man, that's awkward and weird. And so, um, and so if they nest or they're in families, you got to be even more careful, okay? So I learned that last week. But uh, man, we finished this series this morning, and I've enjoyed studying and preparing for it. And I hope it's encouraged your prayer life. But today we're going to look at the last line that Jesus taught. And so Jesus taught this prayer that many of us have memorized in two places. He taught it in Matthew 6, which is where we've been jumping off, which is the Sermon on the Mount. And then Jesus taught it in Luke chapter 11, where the disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, teach us to pray. And Jesus teaches this prayer a second time. And, and he concludes this prayer by giving attention to our, maybe our most daunting enemy, to our flesh and to the human race. And so I think that Jesus is encouraging us to humbly be on our knees and be aware of our greatest need when he says this. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I want to unpack that this morning, and I want to teach us, and I want to encourage us to think about temptation and sin and evil and, and what it is Jesus is encouraging us to pray. And I think first he's encouraging us to pray for protection from the temptation to sin, I think he's encouraging us to pray for protection from the temptation to sin. Now, when you pray for temptation, God protect me from temptation 
to sin, I think at that moment you're, you're recognizing your own frailty. You're recognizing your humanity. You're recognizing the fact that that even as a believer, the temptation to sin is still there, that as a Christian, sin still lurks within this side of heaven. And and so the prayer recognizes, man, I have a need to have a healthy fear of my own sin nature, even as a Christian. The Apostle Paul, I think, recognizes this in Romans chapter 7 when he says this, he, he, and I would encourage you later maybe to read Romans 7, this internal wrestle of the Apostle Paul, even as a Christian with, with the sin that still indwells, where he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself, I serve the law of God with my man, but I serve my flesh with the law of sin. So he's recognizing this tension within himself. And so as a Christian, we, because the Holy Spirit has been deposited in us as followers of Christ, we, we hate our sin and we recognize it for what it is, but we, we also have an appropriate fear and a, a humility in, in the idea that, man, I can still sin. It's still there. You know, one of the things that I've taught many times is, that, is when you be, before you're a believer, you're, you're dead in sins, the Bible says. You, that's all you're going to choose is your fleshly nature. Now, it doesn't mean you're as bad as you could be, okay? But at the end of the day, you're going to choose sin. But once you become a Christian and the Holy Spirit resides in you, you are now free from sin's dominion, but you're not free from sin's influence until we get to our glorified state in heaven. And so I think Jesus is teaching us in our prayers to recognize our humanity and our frailty and be humble enough to say, you know what? The thing I'm most fearful of as a believer is my own sin nature. Heavenly Father, lead us not into temptation. Now, to be clear, okay, and I want to just make a side note, I guess, here, but it's in your notes that God does not tempt, okay? The book of James makes that clear, that God is not the one who tempts. James 1.13, let no one say, when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted when he is in the Lord and he is enticed by his own desires. So in other words, the temptation is our sin nature inside of us. And so when we pray, we're asking the Lord, I believe, to protect us from our, the, na- the, the human fallen nature, the sin nature that we're born into. So then the question is, when, why when we become Christians, why doesn't, why doesn't God just take us out of the world? If we have to pray, Lord, protect us from our own sin nature, why does he leave us here on earth? Why don't we get saved and God just take us to heaven? And I'm going to tell you something. I, Uh, probably one of the things that most excites me about heaven is this idea of being glorified and no longer wrestling with my own sin nature. It's it's a wearying journey. It's the Romans 7 thing where Paul says, oh, wretched man, and I mean, you get tired of fighting your own sin nature. So why doesn't God just take us into heaven? Well, he leaves us here on earth to make a difference, to fulfill the great commission When you become a believer, that's not the end goal for you. The end goal now is that God has given us a purpose, okay? In fact, Jesus prays over his disciples in John chapter 17. 
And for those of you who've been around church life for any length of time, John 17 is often called Jesus's high priestly prayer, but a lot of people call it the Lord's prayer. A lot of people call what we've been unpacking the disciples' prayer because Jesus used it to teach the disciples to pray. But when he prayed over his disciples, his high priestly prayer, we see it in John 17. And, John, and Jesus prays and, and really gives us some insight of why we're not just taken out of earth when we become believers. John 17, 15, Jesus prayed over his disciples just before his crucifixion, burial, and ascension into heaven. He said, I do not ask you to take them, meaning the disciples, out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one. In other words, Jesus in his prayer says, protect them from sin, protect them from evil, protect them from the evil one. Why? Because he leaves us here to accomplish his mission. And so we're a part of fulfilling the victory of Jesus Christ, that his name will be exalted among the nations. And so what are we asking? We're asking for protection from our sin and protection from temptation and protection from evil so that we can be busy about the task that God has given us, which is to make Christ famous to every tribe, tongue, and nation. Now, I want to I say something that hopefully catches you off guard, but I think there's some truth in what I'm about to say. As believers, as believers, every minute that we use to indulge our sin is a wasted minute towards fulfilling the task that Christ has given us, which is to fulfill the Great Commission. Every minute that we use to indulge our sin is a wasted minute towards fulfilling the task that Christ has given us to fulfill the Great Commission. And so I want to encourage you, man, there's this, this prayer, God, to, you know, protect me from my own sin nature. Now, let me, let me take a minute, and, and, and honestly, the bulk of this sermon is kind of so what, all right? So let me get into the so what. So let's talk for a minute about delivery from evil, to be delivered from evil and to be delivered from temptation. What does that mean? What does that look like? You know, so our prayers have, have a very practical part of our spiritual journey. Well, first of all, you can't defeat sin and temptation by natural means, this is not a this is not a, a, a fleshly natural battle that we're a part of. It's it's supernatural and it's spiritual. Okay? And so to 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 be a part of a spiritual battle, you need spiritual means. And we see this when Paul talks about putting on the whole armor of God in Ephesians chapter six, where he says, finally, six verse ten, be strong in the Lord, and then the strength of his might, Paul says. Paul says, do what? Put on the whole armor of God. You may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and in heavenly places. The, the wrestle and the challenge as Christians is supernatural and it's spiritual and therefore it requires spiritual and supernatural means to have victory, all right? So let me unpack this for a minute. The first thing is if you're going to have spiritual victory and we hit on this a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the kingdom of God is you gotta be born again. You have to have spiritual eyes, Again, we look at John 3, where this great ruler of this spiritual leader in Israel, Nicodemus, who in John 3 
is not a believer. He's not yet a Christian, yet he's a spiritual leader. It's possible to be in spiritual leadership and be lost, not be found, not be saved. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus in John 3, and Jesus answered him. He says, truly I say to you, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. It's, it's a mystery to you. You know, if, you, if you're here today and you're a believer and you've ever shared your faith with maybe a family member or a friend and they just kind of look glazed over, like, I'm, what are you talking about? because they haven't been converted yet by the Holy Spirit. And it's like, it's, it's a mystery to them. They can't see the kingdom of God. Verse four, Nicodemus said to him, well, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into the mother's room and be born? And Jesus answered, he says, truly I say to you, unless you're born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. In other words, Nicodemus, we're talking about spiritual matters here. And unless you're spiritually born again and you're rescued from your flesh, which leads to death, you're not going to be able to wage war with temptation and with your flesh. Until you have spiritual rebirth, you are attempting to defeat the flesh with fleshly things. We discussed this a couple weeks ago, and we talked about the gracious work of the Holy Spirit that converts us so that we can see the, the kingdom of God, so that we can now see spiritual temptation and sin and evil. But, you know, there may be some of you in this room, mate, you could be a longtime churchgoer. Nicodemus was a religious man. He was considered a religious leader of the day. And maybe every time I preach on sin, there's a, a sense of shame and guilt around your sin, but there's no victory. And it could be because you're not yet converted. It could be that you're not yet born again. You're, you're, you're attempting to overcome the flesh with fleshly means. You have not yet acknowledged how much your sin is a violation to the holy character of God. You've not yet acknowledged that, that your offense to God really deserves the punishment of God. And you've not yet really acknowledged your need for saving, which is God's son, Jesus Christ. And therefore, you're, you're battling the spiritual with the flesh. And I want to encourage you, you need to be born again. You need spiritual rebirth. Maybe today is the day that, that the weight of your sin has borne down on you enough that you go, you know what, I can't do this by myself. I need saving. And your savior is God's son, Jesus Christ. And he's a son of God. He wrapped, God wrapped in flesh, lived a perfect life, the life you and I could never live. He bore our punishment on the cross. Every time I think about the crucifixion and its bloodiness and it's how brutal it was with Christ, I've realized, man, that's how much God hates sin, okay, and my rebellion against him. And it was borne by my Savior, Jesus Christ. They laid him in the grave and the grave couldn't hold him. And he rose again. Easter Sunday is the cornerstone, the anchor of our, of our faith, according to 1 Corinthians. Corinthians 15, and, and it authenticated the claims of Christ to be the Son of God. Our faith is, is, is anchored to a historical event. It's not just faith and faith. It's not just, hey, you got to believe. It's believe in something that actually happened when God intervened and saved us. And maybe, maybe you've been trying to overcome your, your sin nature on your own, and it's because you haven't yet been born again and believed in Christ who then gives us a deposit of the spirit that then begins to awaken us to the spiritual nature of this battle. The second thing is, is once you're born again, okay, you daily cling to Christ. 
You daily cling to Christ. See, I think a lot of us think, man, I become a Christian, okay? And then I roll up my sleeves and I go to work on cleaning myself off. And I, I overcome my sin by, by each day trying hard. No, the same gospel that saves is the same gospel that sanctifies, is the same gospel that glorifies. We daily feast on Christ. And Pastor Andrew did a great job of preaching on this two weeks ago, right? When he talked about, hey, he gave us a list of all the things we could pray for, healing and miracles and all this stuff. And then he said, but here's the point. All of it is fulfilled in Christ and he's our daily bread. How do we grow to overcome temptation? What are the spiritual means to overcoming this, our, our sinful temptation, it's to feast every day on Jesus Christ. He is your daily bread. That was an aha moment for me. I've been doing this a long time. I was like, that's it. That's it. And so as a Christian in this spiritual battle, I come to Christ. What does that mean? I mean, it means a lot of things. That I'm going to give you some of the disciplines of your life that will help you feast on Christ, if you will. But Christ needs to be the focus of our everyday. I don't know if you heard the one line of the song we sang. I forget which song it was now. When it talked about thinking about Christ, and it said, my greatest thought by day or by night. Wow, right? I mean, if you ever had a great thought, you're like, man, that's a great idea. That idea pales in comparison to reflecting on Christ, right? My greatest thought. How many of y'all have ever heard the, the, uh, the story of David and Goliath preached? How many of y'all have ever heard that? Raise your hand high. So now, okay, so you've heard of teaching or preaching on David and Goliath. And I, I've probably done this, so I'm going to pick maybe even at my own sermons a little bit, okay? And so... <clears throat> Oftentimes, when the story of David and Goliath is preached, we, you, know, you know the story probably, right, where uh, the Israel army is facing the Philistine army, and each day this giant called Goliath comes out, and he, he makes fun of Israel, and he makes fun of Israel's God, and he challenges them every single day to a one-on-one -on -one battle. And, and if he were to win the battle, then Israel must submit to the Philistines. And if, if the Israelite one-on-one -on -one person defeats the giant, then the Philistines will submit to the Israelites. And so every day he taunts and nobody stands up. One day, David, the shepherd boy, he's bringing food to his brothers who are on the front lines and cowering in fear to the giant Goliath who's taunting them day and night. And David can't stand it anymore. And he kind of reflects back on the protection of the sheep and his shepherding times. He says, man, I can defeat this giant. And you know the story, right? He gets five smooth stones and a slingshot and he defeats the giant, right? And so oftentimes when it's a great story, it's a story that's even permeated the night non-Christian culture, the culture we live in. And so, you know, even, and so usually when that story is preached, how is, what is the so what to you? How, what does the preacher usually say is the so what? Here it is. He usually says, now listen, go out there in your life and be David, right? Go defeat the giants in your life. Get, you know, whatever's standing in your way, right? And you go defeat. And then if it's a bigger church, what they do is they follow it up with a video with someone who's had all these challenges in their life and they've overcome them. And you kind of sit there and go, man, why? I, I can't even lose five pounds. This person's like, you know, made a gazillion dollars and they don't have arms or something, you know? It's like, how'd they do that? And, and so go be David. I mean, go be David and defeat Goliath. 
Now, is that a sub-point to that sermon? That could potentially be a sub-point that we can rely on God the way David has relied on God. But the, the main point that was never taught is that David is a type of Christ. And as the Israelites were to look to David as their hero that saves them from their enemies, we too, he's a type, he's a foreshadowing of the greater hero, which is Jesus Christ. So the, the, the so what of the story of David and Goliath shouldn't be go out there and defeat your giants. The so what of the story is you're Israel and you need saving and your saving is Christ. And so just look to him each and every every day and he'll take care of saving you from your enemies. Isn't that much more freeing? Because sometimes I get up and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go get my giants, you know, and I hear the message on Sunday and by eight o'clock Monday, I've already fallen down, right? Now what do I do? And so we press daily into Christ. Give us this day our daily bread. It is Jesus who defeats our enemies, You don't have to go out there and do it on your own. You feast on Christ. And listen, when you think about Christ as your hero, it just makes me desire to worship him more. And it makes me desire to indulge my sin and my temptation less. That's Listen, David in Psalm 23, okay, he writes for us the 23rd Psalm, which many of you know by heart. And it's really a picture of our awesome hero, Jesus Christ, John chapter 10, the good shepherd, Jesus is the good shepherd. And we're to look to him, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. If the Lord is your shepherd, what's it say next? What's Psalm 23 say? How many of you came in here wanting to say, man, I, I want, I need, you're stressed to the max. You're stressed to the max because you're not feasting on Christ. He makes me lie down in green pastures. That sounds like vacation to me, doesn't it? Man, if I'm feasting on Christ, all the stuff that's swirling around me, my hero, Christ, is already taken care of. All I need to do is trust him and his leading. And he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And my soul, which is fractured by sin and brokenness of the world, he restores my soul. And even the paths of righteousness, when I want to avoid sin and I want to walk straight, he leads me in the paths of righteousness. Why does he do it? So that his name will be uplifted for his name's sake. And even though I go through very difficult times, including the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to feel, fear evil. Why? Because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And listen, in the midst of the battle and when it gets difficult and spiritually, he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemy. And he, he honors us because he's a good God. He anoints our head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Church, feast on the good shepherd. Trust him. Isn't that great news? I hope you read the 23rd Psalm differently. I hope you read it with understanding, man, that points me to Jesus Christ, my good shepherd. And so how do we overcome temptation? We need to be born again. We, we need to daily press into our savior, our hero, Jesus Christ. We need to treasure God's word. We need to be treasuring the word of God. The psalmist writes in Psalm 119, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. See, we're talking about sin. We're talking about temptation. We're talking about this, this humble prayer. 
that the Lord taught us to pray. We recognize, man, our sin nature is still with us. So, so how, do we, how do we make sure we're walking in the paths of righteousness? Man, we got to know the word of God. The, the psalmist writes, I've stored your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. If you part of the reason you're journeying in sin is you don't even know the word of God. Man, as Christians, we should be every single day, there should be some time in our lives that we carve out and we read something of the word of God so that we might know the word of the Lord and not sin against the Lord. And we we read the word and we understand and we believe that his word is true and we understand that God's word is good and we understand that God's word brings life. If you you ever want to read the temptations of Christ... In Luke chapter four, Jesus is led into the wilderness and Satan tempts him. And and, and for those of you who are familiar with your scriptures, what what did Jesus do to combat the temptations of Satan? What did he do? Anybody know? He properly applied the word of God. With every temptation, he quoted a verse from the Old Testament. I always call the Old Testament Jesus' Bible, right? And so Jesus' Bible, he quoted the Old Testament, to overcome temptation, we, we, we need to know the word of God in order to overcome temptation and make sure we're not believing a lie. And when you know the truth then, and temptation comes from the evil one, okay, then we're able to resist the devil. So when t- temptation comes even from the evil one, from Satan himself, James chapter four says this, submit yourselves therefore to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. How do we resist the devil? With truth. And I don't have time this morning to spend tons of time on this, but sometimes I think in Christians, I, like the devil gets too much credit. Well, you know, the devil, man, he really after me. And we, we list all these things that the devil's really after us. There's a part of me that's like, look, just cling to the... No, you're being tempted. You may be being tempted by Satan, but Satan is overcome with the truth of God's word. Just know the word and preach the word to yourself and believe it is true and good and best for your life. And you can, oh, and the devil will flee from you. Why? Because the truth of God's word is the trump card. And by the way, there's, there's one sin that I want to hit on, a particular sin that the scripture is very clear. This sin we don't resist, this sin we flee from. Okay, so there's, there's one sin, so we're told to, to resist the devil, but I wanna hit on a particular sin that we're told to flee from, and that's sexual sin. Scripture is very clear, we flee sexual sin. First Corinthians six eighteen. Paul writes this, he says, flee from sexual immorality. And he talks about the, the, the danger of sexual sin because he says every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. If you remember when we went through Corinthians, I spent some time on this and we talked about, you know, there's something unique to sexual sin that Paul is warning us about. There's a, the consequences and danger to sexual sin. Now, many sins we're tempted, we're told that when temptations come that we resist, but, but, but sexual sin, we're told to flee. Okay, you ready to, get, ready to get practical for a minute? Can I get practical for a minute? Here we go. I'll just bring it, you and I. I'll just have a moment, all right, the rest of them. Listen, if you're dating someone, if you're here this morning and you're dating someone and you're, and you're 
Your prayer is the prayer of Christ. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so that's your prayer. And you're attempting to live for the honor and for the glory of God. You're attempting, your life is focused on making Christ famous, every tribe, tongue, and nation. And you're dating someone. I'm encourage you, never, 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 never be in a house or an apartment alone with the person you're dating. Like you, you are setting your, that's not fleeing temptation, that's walking right into it. Well, Pastor, I don't know, man, we just can't seem to be pure. I just can't seem to pursue purity. Well, are you alone together? Yeah, don't do that. I'm gonna tell you something. When my wife and I got engaged, okay, and we wanted to honor the Lord in purity all the way to our marriage to the day we said I do, as soon as we got engaged, you know what we did? We just hung out with her parents all the time. Why? Because we were afraid of our own flesh, all right, and that's just very practical. So we just hung out with our parents. Don't leave us alone, you know, kind of thing. And that's just being aware of your own humanity. It's taking 1 Corinthians 6 seriously. I'm going to flee from this temptation. I'm not going to put myself in a position that I have to kind of overcome this temptation by means that the scripture, other than what scripture has already told us, it's told us flee sexual immorality. Ready to get practical on this sin? Use of electronics. This is for marriage or singles. Don't use electronics without accountability. Don't use electronics without accountability. Listen, if you're here today and you're married, and, and I've seen more, affairs and sexual immorality creep into marriage with the, the beginning seeds being taking place with electronics. That doesn't make electronics the problem. The problem is our sin nature, and the problem is a lack of accountability. And so if you're married, your spouse should have all the passwords, be able to see all your social media, be able to see all of your text, be able to see any email out of any email box that you have. So that, and that's a protection that's fleeing from sexual immorality. And singles... Especially men. You need to have accountability about what you're watching on the internet. And there's, a, there's a, 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 a million great softwares that would help you with this. Right? I, I use, with my children, I use two things. I use a thing called Covenant Eyes. I would really recommend that for you men. Covenant Eyes is a, um, is a software that sends... Um, an email report to your accountability partner and lets them know any website you've been on, on your computer, on your phone, or whatever. It's, it's great, okay? And that way you're fleeing sexual immorality. Uh, for my younger kids, I use a thing called MM Guardian, and it gives me full control of everything they do on their electronics, right? I can block, I can block apps, and, and so there's a couple tools, but I, I just want to encourage you, especially men, be accountable. Why? Because we want to flee sexual temptation. So the prayer is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. These are the practical handles. Now maybe you're here this morning, maybe there's a, <clears throat> a besetting sin. There's a habitual sin in your life that this sin has given you constant struggle. This, this is a sin that you battle with regularly, and, 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 and in your mind, you, you rarely seem to gain ground, and, and so because of that, there's this constant sense of shame and guilt and defeat. 
okay? So, so here's where I want to get real serious about sin for a minute and, and give you some really practical handles around sin. Number one, we need to confess our sin to God. We need to confess our sin to God. 1 John 1, 9 says this, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and he's just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a great verse. It's a verse that should free our hearts to think about the grace and the mercy of God. But the word confession means to agree with God. So to confess your sin is to call sin what God calls it. It's not to sugarcoat it. See, a lot of times I hear Christians are like, yeah, you know, I'm, hum- I'm only human. I make mistakes. That's kind of letting yourself off the hook a little bit. Like if there's a sin in you, like call it what it is. Jesus, we, and this has come up in a couple of our sermons throughout this series, right? Jesus takes adultery and he takes it to a new level. He says, man, if, if your eyes are causing you to lust, you've got the seeds of adultery. If you're angry at another person, you've got the seeds of murder. Pastor Joey hit on that the week before. You know, it already are in your heart. So, so when you're confessing your anger, call it what God calls it. Hey, God, I'm, a, I'm an adulterer, according to your word. And the seeds of murder, confess it for what it is. Don't sugarcoat it. And when we, and we call this spade a spade and we acknowledge that our sin is an offense to a holy God. And as we confess this, and if you look at, at 1 John 1, 9, you recognize the gospel in here, that God is faithful and he's just. What does that mean that God is just? It means he didn't just wave his hand and forgive your sin. It means your sin was paid for. It means you understand that Jesus Christ bore God's wrath for your sin. And so while you confess your sin and you say, you know what, God, I am human and here's my sin. I want to call it what it is. I also recognize that while forgiveness is free to me, it costs you and it costs your son everything. So this confession that you've invited me to make came at a high cost to you. Boy, that's humbling. Yes. And we understand that he's forgiven our sin, but it was a high cost to his son, Jesus Christ. We understand that the gospel, that God's righteousness through Christ has been credited to us by grace through faith. But this kind of confession is not just a, I'm driving down the road, oh, forgive me, but rather it leads to an incredible worship of God's son, Jesus Christ, does it not? Man, thank you for the gospel, God. That's confession. Then we're to repent of our sin. Now, here's, there's a typo in your notes, okay? This is not John. This is Mark 1, Mark 1, 14 and 15. What's repentance? Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. What did he, he come doing? He came proclaiming the gospel of God, which is what? The time is fulfilled. <clears throat> the kingdom of God is at hand. Here's the gospel. It's repent and believe in the gospel, to repent of your sin and believe in the good news of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 7, the Apostle Paul says there's two different kinds of sorrow, okay? First, 2 Corinthians seven ten for godly grief. So there's two kinds of grieving in our spirit. There's godly grief, which produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. 
So in other words, there's two kinds of sorrow. You can feel sorry for your sin and not really repent of your sin. Man, it's just kind of this shame and this beaten down. But when we understand the gospel, we confess it and we repent. That means we turn from it. The word repent means 180 degree turn. It means the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and now we hate what God hates, right? And God hates sin. How much does he hate sin? Look at the cross and look at the punishment that Christ took for our sin, Why? Because he's holy and our sin is the opposite of his character. And so he hates sin and so we repent. And because now we love what God loves, which is righteousness, we hate what God hates, we hate our sin. And so we want to turn from it. We no longer desire to go back. We want to do what is ever necessary to cut this sin out of our lives. And so this includes some of the spiritual disciplines we've talked about, but I also want to talk about the peace that many Christians leave out. Most Christians, they'll confess to God and they have sorrow that maybe for a season leads them to turn from their sin. But oftentimes, even in the lives of Christians, there's no longevity in turning from sin. And here's why. Because we need Christian community to sustain our repentance. We need Christian community to sustain our repentance. If you're serious about a besetting sin that, man, you just can't seem to cut out of your life, confess it, repent of it, and tell somebody. Tell somebody. A brother. Guys with guys, women with women. Find a trusted helpmate and say, I need some help. James chapter 5, verse 16 says what? Therefore, confess your sins to who? You guys awake yet? Here we go. Ready? I'm about finished. Therefore, confess your sins to who? Last time you sat down, a brother in Christ said, hey, you know what, I'm really struggling with. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I'm going to tell you something. This last part is often left out of our disciplines. It's easy to tell God we feel bad, but man, and it's easy, and, and it's easy to sometimes even repent or turn from our sins for a season. But if you don't have Christian community, your repentance will not be sustained. Men, find a godly spiritual man and put them in your life that you can tell anything and they won't sugarcoat it with you. Women, find a mature Christian woman that you can go and say, man, I'm struggling with this. And they'll give you good counsel and they'll pray with you and they'll hold you accountable to repentance. By the way, this is part of our small groups. And, and I get it, okay? Please don't hear me say, go into your small group this week with 15, 10 to 15 people and blurt out your greatest sin, right? That's awkward for everybody, right? But here's what I am saying. Part of the small group is for you to develop some relationships that maybe guys, you find another guy in there and go, man, that guy, that guy seems like he really knows what he's talking about. And say, I need to go out to coffee with you. Women, find another lady and say, you know what? I need to take, can we get together for coffee? There's some things I'm struggling with that I need you to help me journey. And you find a person that doesn't sugarcoat it so that you can overcome sin. Christian community is a big part of what God uses to help us overcome sin. Now, I hope this, is, this should be self-evident, okay, but I'm going to finish with this, and then we're going to close with prayer. Prayer is, a, is one of our spiritual disciplines to overcome sin, all right? Obviously, it's in the Lord's Prayer. And so when we pray, we regularly humble ourselves, acknowledge our need to be protected from our own sin nature. And so my hope with this series was that it, it, it helped to inform your prayers. 
I hope with this series that, it, that your prayers have moved from a, a grocery list of things that you want from God to being kingdom-focused and kingdom-centered. This is the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Now, do I think we can pray this prayer specifically? I sure do. But do I think it's also a, a model for us to expand our prayers? I think it's that as well. So here's how I want to close the series. And I pray, my hope is that as we pray this together, that you, you pray it with a six-part series understanding of what you're praying. These aren't just memorized words that roll off your tongue without any understanding, but I hope that you have an expanded understanding of kingdom prayers. So let's close the series together by sing, do, praying the Lord's Prayer. And I have, the, I have the, uh, the old version that I suspect most of you have memorized, okay? There's nothing in the Bible that says you have to bow your head and close your eyes and fold your hands. And so we're going to do something different this morning. We're going to pray with our eyes open, all right? And you can look at the screen, and let's pray the Lord's Prayer together as we cr- close the series. Here we go. Our Father, who art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.